Hello, listeners, and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist podcast. My name is Rye Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. You can find me on Twitter at Writer Rye or on the other podcast I co-host at TrashPod. Hi, I'm Dee Hogan. I'm the managing editor at AniFem. I also run the Jose Next Door anime blog, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. And I'm Peter Phobian. I'm an Associates Features Editor at Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. And we are here to do the fall 2017 wrap-up podcast. Everything is just about finished up for this season, except for a couple of titles that are carrying over into continuing episodes. So it's time to check back in and see what we thought about the things that we were following. Uh, we've got Dee joining us instead of Caitlin this time, so should be a chance for some fun new discussions. Yay! You watched so many things. I'm in awe. I watched a lot of things. I, I even dropped a, a few things and then picked up another thing, and there are so many things. Yeah. There's so many things. There were a lot of sequels that I was committed to, and then we had a really strong season in terms of like a lot of shows I wanted to see where they went, so I just kept watching. I'm surprised you even remembered <laughs> Hosuki's cool-headedness existed. Uh, I have a subscription to High Dive, and I get literally two shows off of it, so of course I remembered Hosuki. Uh, previously we've saved our sequel series till the end, but this time we decided to, uh, start off with that since most of these, uh, D, you are the only one watching, uh, or Peter, you are the only one watching. So we're just going to go up the list, uh, listeners, if you're playing along at home, uh, our premiere rankings, our fall 2017 premiere rankings, uh, we go from the bottom up on that list, uh, hitting on everything people are uh, people on the podcast are watching. Let's start with Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Beyond, which both of you two are watching. How is it? It's really good. <laughs> Surprisingly good, actually, since they switched out the director from Rie Matsumoto. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but uh, the new director, whose name escapes me, I really should remember that, has managed to keep up the same kind of like energetic directing style. Uh, personally, I enjoyed this season more than the last one, actually, because... I felt like it, uh, I think this is partially just because of the parts of the manga that they were adapting, but uh, they did a lot of the like more character-focused chapters. So like KK and, um, oh, what's the werewolf's name? The director, by the way, is uh, Takayanagi Shigehito. Uh, yes. Chain. It's Chain. Chain. Yeah, Chain, yeah I knew yeah. it started with a C and I was just blanking on it. So they each get like focused episodes. Um, I also thought that the conclusion kind of hit the same emotional note at the very end between Klaus and Leonardo, but it also included Michelle, who has to this point never appeared in the series before, only in flashbacks, and I felt mm -hmm. like the, the writing was a bit tighter. I don't know if this was also anime original like the uh, season one ending was, um, but I enjoyed it a bit more. Uh, I think I preferred season one in all its in all its messy ambition. Um, I thought it had more of a the sort of mystery elements in the... Um, thematic through line and character through line with black and white um kind of kept the season held the season together for me even though the ending was was big and messy this season especially in the early going it felt very like like there was no focus like i was just i was watching a i was watching a lovecraftian slice of life and it took me a while to kind of get into that rhythm after the first season did have that kind of through line I enjoyed the second half a lot more the episode about bratatat mom was so good oh yeah um yeah, it's basically an entire episode about, like, a working mom, and it was great. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the second season. I wasn't as high on it as I was on season one, but I would still recommend it to people. I think it's a good show. 
it's a it's a good fun weird action series with a lot of style mm-hmm. and a great soundtrack yeah they definitely invested i think more time in the finale of the first season although i, I guess we could just debate about the entire writing of that which would probably not really be the focus that we want to get into um, but I definitely understand what you're saying. I, I still like. I mean, I think we basically agree it was a really solid second season. Um, yeah. Had a lot I'd, of cool I stuff. I would. I would be happy to watch more if Bones ever wanted to make more. So. Yeah. Really it's good. Yutaka Nakamura action animation cuts too. So the next three are all UD. Uh, Have fun. The first one is... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Somebody has to be on the front lines of sequels. I just missed years of anime, so I'm behind on everything. So, yeah, I watched a bunch of different sequels this season. Um, I watched the second season of Mr. Otsumatsu, which is kind of like Looney Tunes meets It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird, zany show that is frequently uh, not, not very tasteful, um, but I kind, of, I kind of appreciate it for being willing to just, like, go whole hog into, like, bizarre shenanigans and take them to, like, their uh, most ridiculous conclusions. Uh, season two has been kind of meh. There have been a few, there was a really good bit, um, where one of the characters decided he wanted to become a dolphin. That was incredible. It ended in a musical number and was so good. Um, but overall it's been, it's been pretty lackluster and I'm not, it's going to continue into winter and I'm not even hundred percent sure I'm going to keep up with it. Um, Hozuki's cool headedness, uh, which I, and I think 12 other people are watching, um, is a very good, it's a very good, clever little comedy about a uh, demonic bureaucrat in Japanese hell. And it's just about his um, interactions with the other uh, demons who, who run hell and who, uh, and, and then a few people from, from like heaven who come to visit and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it does a really good job of blending um, a lot of kind of obscure. There we go. Uh, it actually blends a lot of kind of like obscure Japanese mythology and pop culture so it hits a lot of high and low notes and sometimes you're just completely lost as a as an american viewer even with a a a bit of a background in in uh, japanese history but it's it's very clever and fun and i there's nothing in it that i think would really like um frighten viewers off that i would need to warn people about i mean sometimes the humor can be kind of dark because it's about hell but overall it's it's very fun and clever and i like it just an episodic little comedy it's one of those shows i don't really miss when it's gone but it's fun to have it back did you notice a big shift because it's Switched from Studio Wit to Studio Dean uh, between seasons, which is and new directors, so that's pretty dramatic. Honestly, not really. Um, okay. I would say I think it's been. Keep in mind that I watched season one when it came out in 2014, and I have not rewatched it since. Okay. So I think season one probably had a few more stylistic flourishes, animation-wise, but it's not been. I don't feel like the quality's been bad. I feel like the style, the the uh, animation art style, is pretty similar. So yeah, I haven't noticed the difference. Okay. Switching directors um, is really a theme this season, eh? Yeah, it kind of is. I don't feel like it really skipped a beat, so good on them. Um, and speaking of switching directors, uh, Classical Aid Season 2 has a different director as well, uh, which at first was a... Uh, I could kind of tell the first half of the season wasn't quite as fun as uh, the, the first season was, um, but it's really hit its rhythm over the last like five, six episodes, and it's a, it's a blast, and I love it. Classical Aid is still great. To everyone who will listen, and once again to the twelve people watching it with me, we're having we're having a real good time. It looks very good and fun, and I'm sad my watch list is so long. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a delightful uh, comedy that, again, do, just does a lot of things I really like in terms of um, the way it kind of plays with the characters, the way it balances um, 
these really ridiculous scenarios with kind of these really nice, sincere, emotional beats and how it kind of explores creativity and um, what it means to be an artist. And it's just, it's just, an, it's also really funny and silly and I like it. Uh, so yeah, Classical Ed season two is great. I'm happy that it will continue into winter so I can keep hanging out with my uh, musical dorks. Okay. And to wrap up sequels, Peter, you are still watching Food Wars. Uh, yeah, I watched the whole thing. I was actually really enjoying the first half of the season since they, like, there was almost no fan service in the beginning. It was almost entirely about food, which is pretty crazy for Food Wars. Then they introduced this new villain, Azami, who uh, his evil plan is actually pretty close to home since he's basically trying to instate No Child Left Behind into their (laughs) culinary academy. Uh, which, okay. yeah, it's one of those things where you think about it and like the more you think of it, it's kind of like this horrific kind of, uh, um, curriculum he's put together where everybody has to cook exactly the same thing. And if you want to cook it in a different style or cook different forms of cuisine, or you're in some sort of like, uh, obscure cuisine research club, he's basically shutting you down and expelling you. So he's basically kind of just constraining creativity in the student body, which I actually think mm-hmm. is a really good villain for that series. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it kind of gets into this weird plan where he wants to shut down all restaurants that aren't gourmet in Japan, and I kind of wish they just stuck with he's a really shitty teacher. Also, near the end, they started to lean a bit more on the fan service. But they also had another subplot uh, where uh, Azami, you find out, is it's uh, Erna's, I think, I can't remember if it's her father or stepfather, when Alice, her sister, moved to Scandinavia to study molecular gastronomy, uh, he basically abused her as a kid. He made her, like, uh, taste food, and if it wasn't up to standard, she had to throw it away and uh, kind of implied that if she wasn't willing to do that, then she was also garbage. Uh, and, like, her sister was writing her letters, and he would just th- tear them up and not let her read them, anything like that. So she's actually, like, uh, really traumatized when he really reappears. And mm-hmm. it looks like they're going to go with this sort of through line that uh, – Soma has to beat him to, like, save Erna from her, like, trapped room up in his evil tower or something like that. Uh, but then her sister oh actually just shows up and goes, no, I realized that I was unaware of it when we were kids, but he was totally abusing you, and I'm going to take you out right now, and then we'll beat him later. Um, but the most important thing is to get you away from your abuser, which was really surprising oh. to me as well. So yeah. I actually yeah, think, that yeah, was good. they're handling that really well. Nice Everybody's act- they're breaking school rules specifically to keep her away from him because... He's just an awful person and should probably be in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're like first and foremost they're just screening her away from him entirely so they don't have to interact, um, which doesn't work all the time. But they're like actually taking I think the actions that they should past going to the police. Although I don't know how successful that would be. Um, but basically, yeah, uh, some of the writing is really fantastic. Uh, they've been leaning a little bit back on the fan service, but there's actually been some really like surprising plots in there that i've actually really been enjoying that really kind of especially the the no child left behind thing uh you just kind of encounter that and i was wowed by that so i i think there's a lot Hmm. of merit to this third season actually and of course it's continuing into the next season yeah that sounds really interesting cool yeah cool all right that brings us into this season stuff um we can run quickly through the early stuff i think um Konohana Kitan, I keep looking at and thinking, I wouldn't mind watching more of that, and then I don't. Uh, Peter, are you still watching Garo? Uh, yeah, I think it's a lot better now, actually. Uh, they've cut out a lot of swords, stupid shit with uh, praying to women's chests. Uh, they've had, they've given Gina and Luke a bigger part in the series, uh, 
And you find out, I think Luke is half Native American because they introduce his mom at some point. And uh, she, when she hunts demons, she like puts on Indian war paint. And I, 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 the interactions between Gina and Sophie are more prominent now. They kind of do in this weird road trip to find El Dorado, and it's kind of like they're camping out or staying in motels, and they're introducing like more horror elements. Like they like kind of end up in the Bates Motel in the last episode. So I feel like the writing is more good stuff and less bad stuff headed into like the middle of the story. How does it handle the Native American elements? Because that's I, I I mean it's I I don't know if I've ever anime. really seen that in anime other than like occasional stereotypes. So uh, I mean to be I'm uh, they curious. don't they don't really lean on the cultural aspect too much. Uh, I don't know if yeah. they're going to get into that, but it's pretty obvious that they're opening up the subplot. Uh, uh, Luke's mom is killed by his father, who is seems to be the main villain right now. Also, they introduced a main mm-hmm. villain, which really helped out the writing in the story now that they've kind of got to focus somebody they want to fight. So Luke's mm-hmm. trying to kill his dad, who killed his mom. They're obviously going to get more into Luke, but I don't know how much of his um, ethnicity is going to really play a part in that, if at all, and if they'll handle yeah. it respectfully. So it's kind of just an interesting element that I don't know if they're going to play with yet. Right. It is anime. Yeah. Well, but I hope it's an eye on. The fights yes, have yeah. been yes. really good hope. and there have been less like obtrusively bad stuff. Um, so I'm I'm enjoying it much more than <laughs> I, I was enjoying it at the beginning mm-hmm. and now I'm enjoying it a lot. Well, uh, to get into the reverse of that, uh, Judy Tyson. Hmm. I dropped it. Uh me too. I kept with I stuck with it. I don't I very rarely drop shows like two episodes from the end but i just couldn't get myself through another episode so yeah i dropped it at like 10 9 or 10 yeah um, you finished it though i did yes mm-hmm. was that in the middle of tiger's subplot yeah i got tiger? i got part way through i got part way through tiger's backstory and i realized that i basically was i was 95 percent sure i knew how the story was going to end and so there was no tension and it was like what's even the point of me getting attached to this character um, mm. And so I just, I just stopped. I gave up because I couldn't, I couldn't give any dams anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it, basically. It, it is definitely a, a series where, um, you know, I, I started watching it because it was, it was fun and trash and it was good at being trash. And um, then it kind of, it, it got predictable, which is kind of the anathema of dumb, fun shows like this. Uh, it killed off most of its sympathetic characters. The character who I pinpointed at the beginning as going to win uh, did in fact win and I hate that character mm. so much and the oh. philosophy he espouses okay uh, I actually well, that answers think... my that answers my question which was going to be did, was the ending surprising um, <laughs> slightly the last episode was pretty interesting I think um, I actually I think I had the same sort of reticence about Tiger as you did where uh, they were kind of setting her up as a more sympathetic character that was very unexpected um, but then mm-hmm. you didn't, uh, but then, you, I mean, you expected her to just immediately die afterward. Uh, but then I think she probably had the most meaningful death out of all the characters in the series, um, because the next inter- uh, episode kind of introduced her interactions with Ox, um, and she kind of, uh, dies intentionally, um, which is something that has not happened yet, I don't think. Um, and then after that, it ends and you sort of learn more about Rat. And I think the opinion that he had was kind of a split between him sort of being a shitty teenager, um, but also the nature of his power, uh, which by its very nature gave him this extremely pessimistic worldview uh, for like some pretty good reasons. 
then the last episode ends up kind of being uh, an exploration of uh, what Rat does after the fact, because he's got that wish to make, um, and he kind of has to decide what to do and wonders like whether he should just bring everybody back. Uh, and then it kind of there's all these flashbacks to um, his power is essentially that he can create a hundred different probable uh, paths of probability and then select the one after like living them all out. Uh, so he literally picked out of ninety out of a hundred paths, uh, the one that played out was the only one in which he actually survived. Uh, he got killed in the other ninety nine. Uh, so it, after winning, he's sort of looking back, and uh, in different paths, he had uh, ended up teaming up with everybody in at least one path and asking them what their wish would be. Uh, so mm-hmm. it kind of goes back, and you get to learn what everybody was wishing for uh, during the Juni Tyson, um, or like what they would have wished for if they won. Um, and then kind of how it played out from his perspective, and then this pressure that he has to make this, like, potentially life or world-changing wish, and what he wants to do with that. Uh, and he goes through, uh, since it, because of his power, he goes through a hundred different wishes, and then finally decides upon one. There came a point where the series stopped being fun and dumb and thought it was saying a thing, yeah. and once it stopped being fun, like, when it was still, like, good, dumb fun, I could think, oh, it's cute, it thinks it's people... But then it stopped being fun, and all there was left was its very hashtag deep uh, musings on war, which which were poorly written and thought out and kind of repugnant when asked to be taken seriously. Uh, honestly, when you left, too, I think that was the low point in the series, because it spends two episodes on those twins, who I don't think really anybody cared about at all. One of them was already dead. Uh, the other one was exactly the same, uh, that is to say equally not interesting, but I don't, I don't really know if the war stuff was really too important at the end of the day. I think the only, like, real kind of solid worldview you got at the end was Ox's, which played a big part into kind of Tiger's own perception. Uh, and I feel like that was kind of the, the philosophical core of the middle of the series before getting into the rats thing at the end. Uh, but before that, yeah, it just seemed like a, a big mess. And then the... I, I understand why you drop it during the snake episodes. I, I like, didn't really even know what I was supposed to be invested in during those two episodes. Yeah, it, it was definitely the point where the series structure worked against it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, um, I yeah, I don't know, like, where he was going with all that, like, perception of human conflict war kind of stuff. I don't think it mattered too much in the end of the day. I think it was sort of leading into Rat's final um, episode, which actually, I don't know if that was anime original, so that might not have even been Nisio Isen at the end of the day. Um, but <laughs> I think I think the high point of the series was definitely probably the episode right after you quit D with uh, Tiger and Ox. And uh, yeah, so there were some good parts. I, jo- I enjoyed it. I'm glad I got through the snake episodes. You don't regret finishing it, so. I do not. Mm. I think if you can suffer through the snake episodes, uh, and I, I guess I'll use the word suffer, then... Um, then I think you are actually rewarded for completing Tiger's subplot. Uh, then the the wrap up is pretty interesting, and uh, Rat's episode is kind of more like maybe what you'd expect getting into a Nisio Isen series in the first place. Nice. All right. Yeah, so uh, that brings us up to Blend S, which D are Peter? Did you drop it or not get into it? Or I've kind of been half watching it because I'm cutting clips for work, but I'm not watching entire episodes, so I've got a very scattershot view of the entire season, essentially. Okay, cool. Well, we talked a little on the mid... We, we kind of talked around to this one in the mid-season because I didn't I didn't want to get into it with 
none of us knowing much about it. So it's great that you are here to give the scoop, D. I am, but I, I don't. I don't want to talk about it. Ooh, <laughs> let's shit. talk about. Let's talk about Aww. another show. Let's not talk about Blend S. Um, the I... bad thing happens at the end, doesn't it? No, I. I, I mean, yeah, I finished it. Um, I enjoyed it. It's a. It's got a a cute, frequently funny, um, sort of uh, candy coating over a big ball of problematic elements. So I cannot in good I cannot in good faith recommend it to our uh, listeners, um, which is kind of why I'm like, do I even do I even have to talk about it? Um, it's uh, yeah, it's um, there's a romantic subplot that doesn't really go anywhere um, because it's a goofy comedy. Um, between the, between, uh, Micah and Dino that would honestly, like the way it plays out in the story itself, if you ignore like the actual context <laughs> is kind of cute. Like if they were a couple years apart and they were coworkers, their relationship would be really kind of fun to watch. Uh, however, she's 16 and he's her 26 year old manager. And is and so the only way I can get through any of that is to just go, I'm just not going to think about it. <laughs> um, which I've is, been there. If you're saying if I've the two of there. them were Kaho and Akizuki, then it would be cute because that was cute. Uh, I think Kaho and Akizuki are a few are like 16 and 20, so no. Really? I thought <laughs> they were around the. They it said they were like both in high school when they started the job, right? Uh, maybe I got the ages uh, wrong. Well, I feel like they're I know closer. Akizuki can drink beer, so he's got to be 20 because he's drinking beer. Unless he's drinking underage, which I'm not even sure they're allowed to show in anime. Hmm. Um. And Kaho is Kaho seventeen, so not as bad. Uh, your your mileage may vary um, on that one. It's still it's still a little bit in the in the side eye range, but they're coworkers at least, so yeah. there's not they're at least you know at the same basic level of power within that. And I think they're both students, so again, you could argue that one. I think, um, but yeah, no, Micah and Dino is uh, is creepy. Um, it's not played yep. creepy, but is creepy. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's even so, as played creepy sometimes, isn't it? Don't they like literally have scenes where he's kind of like being a perv about her and then he actually gets arrested? He, no, he, the police officer thinks he's perving out and arrests him. Um, but he's just like, she's concerned about something. And so he just like puts his hands on her shoulders to console her and really isn't like, he's not a, he's not really a character. Like he, he gets nosebleeds when he gets excited, but it's not really tied to sex stuff to like, to like sexual fetishes necessarily. Um, and he's kind of one of those characters who is like, oh my God, I'm holding hands with somebody like has no experience with relationships and is really clumsy. And she's super naive and oblivious. And so again, if they were like, if there was like a two year gap and, or they were and they were coworkers, whatever, um, it would, the way it's played would be like, there'd be a few moments where I'd be like, it's a little skeevy, but overall it would be kind of cute because they're both just bumbling their way into this like semi crush, um, but that's not the case, so yeah. I can't, uh, I can't like, I can't hand wave that one away. It's, it's not good. He's like an American or an Italian Japanophile, right? He's, he's an Italian who is a Japanophile, and she, it's again, this is this to me is a really f- kind of fun and interesting dynamic. He's a Japanophile, but she uh, fetishizes foreigners. Like she's really into oh, his yeah. blonde hair and his foreign and his and his foreign language and and all his and all his strange customs and um, so that back and forth again is is interesting. Like that that idea of like when your fetishes clash with reality with actual human people. Like how does that? 
how does that how does that look how does that play out um and it kind of and at points it does sort of um tap it does sort of challenge these idea of like well no that's just a stereotype actual people don't don't necessarily like follow all those all those assumptions um and it does that with a lot of different things which is why the show's interesting to me and it makes them there's a lot of nerdy jokes that are pretty good but then there's a lot of problematic shit too um, yeah well and you, you know what they say comedy is the genre that ages the fastest is the most subjective and by its nature pushes taboos which sometimes means that you know you you wind up with a pile of something that's sometimes really clever and sometimes oh god why did you do that yeah, and I truthfully, like, the way the story is written, and I haven't read the original, um, I believe it's a manga, so I can't, I mean, I can't verify that this is true with the manga itself. You get the sense that there's nothing malicious, it's just that the writer didn't think anything of it. Like, does that make sense? Like, it, I don't know. Mm. Which I think is why I was able to kind of push through the fact that even though it was full of, like, all these problems, um, it's just this sense of, like, obliviousness of, like, oh, well, no, it's just a goofy story, don't worry about it. Um mm. There's an Otokonoko character, which uh, for folks at home doesn't translate well, but I guess femboy would be close. It's uh, boy characters who look and frequently present female, but they're not necessarily trans. And I don't know if this, I don't know if, I don't want to describe this character one way or the other, because I think, I know there are some trans writers who have um, identified with the character, and I don't want to take that away. Um, I think it might be being a little generous to the writer to think that they thought that deeply about it, but mm-hmm. um it's not particularly, it's not, again, it's, I don't think it's, it doesn't strike me as malicious, but it is insensitively handled within the story itself. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very cringeworthy uh, quote unquote joke about bathrooms in one episode that, especially given the current uh, climate, uh, like here in the US, was, was very, very difficult to get through. So yeah, it's, again, I cannot in good, I, why are we still talking about it? I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just think it's, I, I think it's interest. I, I think it's interesting when shows hit high highs and low lows, like at the same time, and Blendess seems like one of those shows. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, uh, now now we can talk about um, Anime Gataris, which is also a big messy ball of something that I kind of liked, which uh, you dropped halfway through, Yes. Yeah, I got halfway through, and then there wasn't really any plot or character development to speak of, and I just had a lot of other shows on my watch list, as has been noted. Um, So it kind of just fell by the wayside. Um, I heard it went fucking wild in its second half. It went some places. (laughs) Um, I think think it was um, Michi described it as uh, a shitpost in anime form, and that strikes (laughs) me as accurate. It's like, it kind of makes me want to go back to it. Well, it it's it's a frustrating show to me because, like, it clearly wants to be a slow burn that ramps up into being, like, fucking weird and gonzo and off the wall, but it's too slow. Um, like, it just stalls out in the middle there where it's not really... It's doing a couple, like, interesting things per episode, but not really anything to write home about in a big, meaningful way when your watch list is six years long. But then at the yeah. end... Um, yeah, it goes some fucking places with meta text and the fourth wall and relationships between readers and authors and texts, um, kind of all the dimensions of that. Um, and it kind of, one of the things I really ended up liking about it is that it's one of the few anime about anime that, uh, and this is such a small thing, but I never see it, that acknowledges that sometimes anime is shit. And like, it doesn't mean you're a bad fan who's a bad who, who's like bad at appreciating anime. If sometimes you think shows are shit, um, what whilst that's, it it that's like good. clearly 
clearly there are still other things that you loved and are important to you. Like mm-hmm. there's um you know they they find you know um the the series starts with uh, Minoa and that series she can't remember. So she's finally able to meet up with the director of of that show that was so important to her and he starts talking about the uh the anime that they made you know for like the school festival and and talking about like all the things that were wrong with it she's like wow this is so great i'm really going to use this to fuel the next project i work i work on and i'm like oh i like that that is a good (laughs) this is good i like this um but at the same time you know the the dark side of it being the living embodiment of a shit post is sometimes it does things for a joke that just weren't worth it. Like, um, I, <sighs> the only way this jokes works is, is if it's a uh, Jun Fukuyama playing the teacher, um, where it basically is just having him play Grell again so that he can eventually 10 episodes in call another character, Sebastian, um, oh, which is a long fucking way to go for that joke. And it's not worth it when you have written a teacher who is, begging to be sexually assaulted by his students because he's an Okama stereotype and I hate it. Thanks, anime gatoris. <sighs> and um the um yeah. y- you know all the weird um the weird fetishy stuff with Minoa's friend? That is it does lead up to kind of a good joke, but not good enough to not that that I'm not like retroactively cre- you know, I didn't retroactively not get creeped out by all of the the camera gaze on this teenage girl. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that a few episodes in, and then all of a sudden I couldn't stop noticing it. I was like, oh god, every episode starts with this. This is creepy. Mm-hmm. It um, is. It's still creepy. It is. Like, they're doing something with it, but that doesn't mean that it's not creepy. Yeah. It's a big old mess of ideas that I find really interesting and ambitious and neat, and, like, some weird fetish shit and jokes that don't land, and I don't know. It's just kind of a mess that... I admire, but also I'm not sure I would ever recommend it to somebody because it takes so long to get going and there's so much anime. And, eh. But you finished it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. I finished it and I'm glad I finished it. So just because I am the only one on earth watching this anime. No, you're not. Uh, I have several Twitter uh, people I follow who uh, tweet about it. So A lot of people I actually are watching just because as well. Uh, it's been a pretty popular rom-com from what I understand. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm legitimately surprised. Yeah. It's, um, I should also mention that, um, at time of recording, I wasn't able to watch the last episode because it technically aired on Wednesday, but Amazon hadn't bothered to put it up. So I have only seen 11 of 12 episodes, which is kind of a problem with this kind of show. Amazon Um, is so good at their job. Yeah. So good at it. So they, great. So, they do anime. They do anime so well. Yeah. Sorry, we probably shouldn't be no, doing that No, they deserve podcast. it. But, but anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, just Because is a show I feel really, really bad for. Um, because it's, I, I think they covered it on Sakaga, um, that it has had like a heinously troubled production, like above and beyond what studios normally have, like above and beyond ballroom levels where like some of the creative team involved is actively complaining about it out in the open, that level of bad, uh, which really shows because, you know, it's a show that's really good at like, you know, small moments of verisimilitude. And then there are other shots where, where the animation just looks melty and bad and minimally detailed and really janky. And it is just a nightmare to look at. Um, and as far as the plot, uh, as it went into the late game, it got 
really into the romantic contrivances that I was afraid it would do and all of the other slice of life like end of high school stuff really got shoved into the background in a way that was really disappointing um and at the same time when it hits its mark at doing because like this is clearly an anime that wants to reflect life above and beyond a lot of other shows and just have like small moments of of that verisimilitude and when it hits those it is really fantastic but those moments become fewer and fewer far between between the um the rom-com junk and the troubled animation and it like to the point where i just can't like i've enjoyed parts of it a lot and and respected parts of it a lot and i just can't recommend it at the end of the day which kind of makes me sad got gamers yeah that's too bad yeah yeah it, it really is i yeah a little a little bit like it's not it's never really gross but like like I um I think I said, you know, when we started out that um I hate rom-coms in general because you have to have the third act misunderstanding. That's just how the genre works. And the show kind of avoided that in that in that first half by being about yeah, teenage romance but also a bunch of other things and then you get to like episode 10 and it's like two characters are applying for the other one's university that they think they're going to and they're spending all this money and I'm quietly dying of an anxiety attack secondhand. <laughs> Like just talk to each other, please. Please, please just, just have one conversation. Other. You're you're wasting hundreds of dollars. Please stop. Um. So yeah, it's it's not that I it's not that there haven't been uh, really nice parts of it, but it's just um at the end of the day, the things that drag it down kind of outshine the parts of it that are special. Yeah. Well, and it kind of sounds like if that's a genre that you like or you don't necessarily mind some of those like um, miscommunication uh, issues in like rom-com style series, it sounds like it might be something that that listeners would enjoy. But if you don't like it, then it's going to frustrate you. That's true. Like like if, if you are into rom-coms and also don't mind a little bit more of a melancholy edge um then, yeah, I think I think this might be something you would enjoy. And also, if you don't mind. Oh my God! Some bad animation. <laughs> yeah, I know, the the fans are just because that I listen to are definitely uh, they're the type who enjoy that sort of uh, those contrivances and they're hella on board with the series. Like the people who are watching it are super enthusiastic about it. So um, mm-hmm. I, I have trouble with those two, where it's just like if they had a single conversation, then all their problems would be solved and they could live happily ever after. But yeah. that they don't for three episodes, and you're well, like ripping your fingernails out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. definitely the kind of show where, like, those things stand out because, like, at the same time these two characters haven't talked to each other, there's another couple where it's like, oh, I like you and you like me, but I'm going to move in three months and the the round trip train to, and you're going to start going, working at a factory here and it's $300 for a round trip train ride and this just isn't going to work and I'm sad about that. Oh. So, mm-hmm. like, the, the balance of those things makes the rom-com contrivances just stick out like a th- sore thumb. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, all I have to say about that. Uh, Peter, you're watching Black Clover. Yeah. Um, I don't really know if I can expand too much on what I said last time. I think I actually said a, more than I needed to last time. Uh, I am enjoying it more than I did the manga. I think they add a bunch of little extra scenes, some I think some extra fights too, uh, to kind of flesh things out. And uh, I wouldn't say that the manga has much downtime, but to kind of like uh, maybe balance like the character focus a bit more. Uh, they've had some really standout animation during some of the fights, like uh, 
even some of the side characters get some really cool like Amaishi style animation, some cool like impact frames and stuff. Uh, one guy gets one while throwing a fireball like a baseball, which is really cool, and he gets like the the sunglasses flare. <laughs> uh, so it's just, I mean, like if you're down for the shonen stuff, it's hella shonen. Still has some. It it has the same kind of faults where it kind of ignores its female cast a lot, or they get uh, allocated to healing, which are not great. Although it doesn't do too much fan service, especially by comparison to some other shows. So I'd say uh, if you enjoyed like maybe the first six episodes, you'll probably enjoy the rest of the series. And it's surprisingly it's it's better than I thought it would be. So yeah. You're gonna keep. I, I assume it's a shonen. I assume it's going to continue uh, yeah. on into uh, the winter. It's uh, continuing into winter season. Um, I don't know after that. Um, You're gonna keep up with it. There's a lot of carryovers oh. this season too. It sounds like. Uh, mm. Yes, there is, and yes, I am. Sounds like a, a, a you know, good one for yeah. the shonen set. Cool. Well, you get to keep talking because you are also the only one who had time to watch um, Urahara. I keep hearing yeah. more and more interesting things about it, and I just. I just have not had time. Yeah. Yeah. Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin couldn't join us, dear listeners, um, but she has been watching Urahara as well and was kind of talking it up in uh, our group chat the other day. So uh, what did you think, Peter? Yeah, I feel like uh, Caitlin probably has more to say about it than I do since uh, she was kind of getting into the themes of commodification of like Harajuku culture, um, which I, I, in retrospect, I think I can definitely see that based on the things she was saying. Um for me, I mean, Urahara is basically a show where you love or hate its aesthetic, uh, and that might just cause you to drop the show right from the get-go. Um, I really liked just watching it to see what they were doing visually uh, and, like, stylistically. They did some really interesting things with the show, and it's, like, a very kind of uh, new group making it. So um, I kind of just want to probably follow whatever they do after this as well. Um, for the show itself... Uh, it kind of got into like the nature of creativity uh, and like the, the I mean that they basically said from the beginning that the friendship between the park girls uh, and they kind of got into some really heavy like de- themes of self-doubt and like following trends if that means that you're just copying other people and not coming up with anything on your own. Uh, so I think one of the uh, the scoopers in addition to being like the whole commodification thing are also kind of an allegory for like um concerns whether you're actually creative or not or if you're just like copying other people and selling something as your own um which was cool i think unfortunately the scenes that i enjoyed most were the flashback scenes uh before the scoopers arrived uh which they did pretty frequently to sort of reinforce the friendship between the girls because it always had kind of something going on uh and they were just kind of sweet scenes and they always had like new interesting clothing designs that the the show really didn't have time to get into later on so stylistically they were pretty cool um but it had a pretty cool through line and kind of a hilarious final fight so um i think it was pretty solid i know a lot of people dropped it because of the visuals but i thought it was really interesting did it continue to be pretty um kind of like family friendly because i know that was ryan and i were both saying we thought it felt like it was geared more towards a younger audience and i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way i just meant is this something that we could like recommend to listeners who maybe have uh, younger kids who they want to show an anime to. Uh, yeah, I'd say it, it was very PG, actually. Uh, they get into some kind of, I think, maybe kind of more emotionally mature scenes, but I don't think anything mm-hmm. that you'd, like, keep away from your kids or anything. So, uh, yeah, I'd say it was a very 
child-friendly show in that regard. Good. I like I like cool. keeping an eye out for stuff like that because I know we we do have some some parents who follow us who kind of talk about oh well can I show my kids this and it's like well most of the time the answer is no, <laughs> um, so it's nice when we have one where it's like no caveats you could show this to a you could show this to a kid and it wouldn't be a problem. So. I think uh, kids would be much more attracted to kind of like wild visual spectacle like that too since they have less preconceptions regarding that kind of stuff too. So I actually think that makes sense. It would be a very good show to show to your kids. Cool. Uh, I continue to be glad it exists, and hopefully I'll have time to get back to it. D, you and I both dropped keto, like a hot rock. Um, well, keto. we dropped it, and then I came back for the final episode because I saw gifts. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and the final episode was, I honestly kind of wish that uh, the new Kino had just leaned into being, like, terrible, like, Hilara bad from day one, because I think it could have been really fun based on that final episode. Um, I was just what I was like. Did Sig Sawa write this? Like, did what? Did Sig Sawa just have a novel where Kino fights a herd of evil sheep? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God! And the animation, the sheep are so the really. It's the production that brings that scene all those scenes all together because the sheep are CG. Yeah, and they're bouncing <laughs> off a CG truck like like objects bounced off of things in like old like N sixty four games. So not very realistically, just kind of just kind of bouncing and scattering. Yeah. Um, um, uh, that like episode marbles. was insane. And then, God, it was. And yeah, again, I, I just, I didn't, I actually, I didn't watch the entire thing, but I watched the important thing. Um, and then also, <laughs> every time Kino shoots a sheep, some some voice actor in a studio goes Mah! <laughs> every time. So it was just bang, Mah! bang, bang. I mean, there's <laughs> literally like Kino crying. shoots a sheep in midair, and its corpse like flips past Kino and into a wall of fire. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Oh, I oh I made a video. I made a video yeah. of that. Uh, it's people, the best. Go, go find my Twitter and look for Dear Kino. You'll have a good time. Yeah. It's so um, good. So that, but that's been the extent of my experiences with New Kino. <laughs> I um I, I do know that uh, you know in the original Kino there is Kino's backstory episode and then there is the series finale which kind of is a callback to that and it's really fucking good and all that mm -hmm. jazz. Yeah, they switched the order of those episodes which is a great idea that was an excellent thing that they should have done for sure. Ugh. Yeah. I, this adaptation I, seems like it was poorly thought out. Um, but what yeah. did you think, Peter? You actually got through the whole thing. so mm, I think... It's kind of unfortunate. I don't. I wasn't too interested in the episodes that weren't remakes, and the ones that were, I felt, were not handled as well as the original. Uh, there, <laughs> so there were a couple. Uh, the highlight of the show for me was the the episode about Photo, um, who is an entirely unrelated to Kino, entirely side character, um, who got like a single story. I'm pretty sure it was just got their own novel, and that was it. Because uh, I felt like that was kind of touching on some of, it kind of had some like original Kino feel to it, um, and kind of had like a, although the ending was kind of like wrapped up into a sort of a neat package, so you still didn't get kind of like that open-ended philosophical quandary at the end either. So the most interesting part of new Kino had nothing to do with Kino at all? Uh, perhaps. That was at least my favorite episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean it sucks because like I don't I you can't help but compare it to old Kino, so I I don't think that it ever stood a chance, um, just based on who directed the original Kino, um, yeah. 
I I th- I feel like that's all you well, can say. Like no matter how good it was, could it yeah. have possibly been that good? And I don't think that the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, and I don't feel bad comparing it because it chose to remake some of the most famous episodes from the original. So like you done brought this on yourself, folks. Well, I, f- I feel like I think they actually put it up to a fan vote, which is even worse. Yeah, I would not. Yeah, I would not have done that. A level of. That suggests a lack of creative vision that is concerning. Um, yeah, that gives you less narrative control, like, if you want to create, like, a through line for the series or anything, too. So, um, I don't know. There were moments that I liked. Um, I don't think I regret watching it, although I really wish I'd watched this Kino and then the old Kino uh, in that order. I feel like I would have been able to be more generous with it, or at least, like, I don't know, less... Uh, what do you call it, less affected by my previous experience. In that case, I, f- I feel like it might have been um, a pretty decent show if it didn't have this legacy to live up to. That may be true. Uh, the good news, listeners, is old Kino, uh, 2003 Kino, is, at least in the U.S., it might be available internationally, I'm not sure you'd have to check, um, is currently streaming on High Dive, right, Bri? It is, and you do not need a High Dive membership to watch it. Hey, hey, I so go, go check out old Kino. Yeah. Um, it's really good and speaking of the thing that was actually the successor to Kino this season as nearly as I can tell D you caught up on Girls Last Tour I binged it in like a day because uh, when Caitlin said she wasn't going to be able to make the podcast I was like well somebody has to be able to talk about this show Um, I started it worried it was going to be a slog and uh, it ended up being one of if not my favorite show of the season Um, it it's really, really good. Like, Girls' Last Tour is legitimately excellent. Um, it's, it follows these, uh, these two girls, Yuri and uh, Chito, as they sort of travel through this um, mostly abandoned kind of wasteland of a city after um, a war. And so there's, there's, kind of an ele- a, there's a lot of an element of them sort of piecing together um, what kind of happened um, beforehand, and so you get you get little tidbits and hints about like what the world was like before before this war kind of like basically destroyed the planet. Um, it does a really good job of balancing these kind of like heartbreaking, hopeless moments with these other moments of like um, finding these kind of like bright lights in the darkness and um, everyone kind of trying to figure out what makes their lives meaningful in in this moment where it really does look like it's the end like these are probably the last people left on earth and when they're when they're done they're done um and so following these these two girls who have a really good relationship um it vry it leans a little bit into yuri so <laughs> you might i mean i was already interested that. but pander to me pander to me aren't they sisters <laughs> no i don't think so they, mm. I if they if they are sisters, they don't refer to each other as sisters ever, um, okay. which is which is odd in a Japanese context. Like that, one of them wouldn't call the other Nesan if they were sisters. Um, At the very least, I'm they were raised sure together, correct? They they were raised together. Yeah, they're really good friends um, for sure. And there's a there's a few little moments towards the end that um, you can. I mean, they're not. I don't think anyone in this world has a sex drive, which I'm fine with. And um, so there's not a lot of like, so like the, there's some moments towards the end that you could read as like quasi romantic, but, um, but either way, they have a really good relationship. Um, Cheeto's more of kind of a cautious um, thinker who collects books and wants to learn more about history. And then Yuri's more, um, 
impulsive, um, but also courageous. And so they balance each other well and they, they piss each other off and they get into like stupid little fights. And it's, it's kind of nice to see that interaction of like, well, we're together all the time and we're going to get on each other's nerves. Um, but at the end of the day, they do still really care about each other. Um, the individual stories are, um, up and down, but the really good ones are, are just these exquisite little, little tales about, uh, like, you know, what, what, what makes a human human? What makes life matter? Um, it's really good. Um, I'm still kind of coming down because I finished it this morning. I'm still kind of coming down off the glow of just this show that wasn't even really on my radar, um, kind of swooping in out of nowhere and, and making case for being like top 10 material of the year. So mm-hmm. it was it was really good, and I heartily recommend it. Um, about the only semi-pro- I mean, semi-problematic thing, I guess, is there's... Uh, there's three different scenes where the girls take baths and I didn't think it was, I thought the camera framing was fine. I didn't find it sexualized. I mean, there's some nudity, but I didn't find it like objectifying the characters. Um, Different people have different uh, feelings about that. So maybe it will bother you, but it didn't bother me. So overall I thought it was really, really good. Maybe I'll uh, try and find some time to check that out this weekend. I am glad to hear that it, because when I watched the premiere, it really it it had some glimmers of potential that I wasn't sure it was going to capitalize on, and yeah, that's sounds like it got really too. good. It did. Yeah. It really it really hits its stride. It builds on itself very well. Um, just I think it I think it just gets better every episode, just about. So it's yeah, it's really excellent. And uh, I, I feel like this one flew under a lot of people's radars, partly because uh, it's on strike, and also just you know it, it doesn't appear flashy at the outset so hopefully people will check it out i hope so it was stunningly good i was very very impressed all right well let's with that let's move into our top four um just a reminder these aren't like ranked in terms of we did we tried to deliberately move away from we ranked them on value because they their hashtag feminism and just like these are the ones that we thought had the most potential and here they are in alphabetical order so let's start with the mmo junkie which you guys were both really big fans of I thought it was pretty good. Um, I I know there were some elements that uh, you were concerned or just outright objecting to, Vry. Um, it, it is a genre that I hate, but like I can acknowledge that that that's it. It, it did told a good story on top of a genre that I hate. Yeah, I, which is that whole shallow gender play thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like it uh, avoided being too obnoxious with most of those typical rom-com elements where it's like will they, won't they kind of things and and breaches of communication. Uh, I don't really feel like they ever kind of like hung you out to dry for three or four episodes waiting for the simplest thing to happen so that the plot could move forward, which is something that typically turns me off to comedies. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of uh, added new elements which caused their romance to develop. I, I think the well for me was kind of poisoned a little bit that uh, Koi Wai was like the main instigator of their relationship after he basically made the worst impression possible on me by making a, a rape joke uh, by and taking a picture of uh, Moriko while she was unconscious, which made me super uncomfortable. Um, but I guess he's supposed to actually be a good guy, which I don't believe. Um, and I can't believe the sense I get from Koi Wai, and I think, I think somebody else in the in the group chat was talking about this too. He strikes me as one of those guys who kind of feels like you can joke about anything and it's fine, and no one's ever told him no. That's not cool. You need to stop. Yeah. Um, because push comes to shove, his like most of his actual interactions with people, he doesn't come across as like 
a bad guy, I guess. He just comes across as somebody whose like default mode is goofing around um, and doesn't realize that there are lines, um, which I think would be okay if the other characters had called him out on it and he had improved. Um, the fact that he didn't, it, yeah, Koei White kind of left a sour taste in my mouth too because uh, even, if, even if you do want to set him up as a guy who's actually pretty decent, somebody needs to tell him that uh, his behavior is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimately, I, f- I felt like it was a good story. I like the the elements that they kind of like the structure they did it around MMOs. Um, I do have. I was mm-hmm. left kind of feeling uh, like slightly incomplete, and I guess this is just where they decided to end it. And there's more to the online manga. Although I don't know if Michi gave me a very optimistic view of the next component of the story. I feel like they just kind of dropped the fat. Like Moriko's still a neat. I mean, that's kind of cool, but she has a limited amount of money. Uh, so I, I have concerns about whether, like, playing video games, fine, keep doing it, whatever, but if, if she doesn't have any sort of income and she's kind of like, I don't feel like her lifestyle is sustainable, and I know that, I, I think the recovery was part of the, uh, English translation, which wasn't in the original title, but I would like to have them have added some sort of component. I, I guess at the end she kind of says, like, I want to improve, uh, so that I can feel worthy of dating Sakurai, which was okay because i feel like he had similar sentiments yeah i guess there's just sort of that nagging mm-hmm. plot thread regarding her her like uncertainty how do you the pay the bills yeah, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> yeah uh yeah, I, I hear that. I kind of I feel a little bit bad because I, I think both Amelia and Caitlin were Caitlin were a lot higher on this show than we were, and so it's a it's a shame they can't be on this uh, podcast um, because I did I liked it, but kind of like you, it was to me it was one of those shows where there if you had just changed a few little things, it would have basically been perfect, and I would have loved it. Yeah. Um, and because it was so close to being like something I would have just adored, I think I noticed the flaws more than I do in uh, other shows where I didn't expect it to be like a show that would make my all-time favorites list. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that's probably unfair to MMO Junkie. Cause again, and I do, I don't want to understate the fact that it's a, it's a good, very cute, sweet rom-com. Uh, it features a 30 year old uh, woman nerd as the main character. And she's very sympathetically and like, and portrayed and has a lot of, and is a complex character uh, dealing with, an- with social anxiety. And that's really good and important to see. And uh, the way it handles uh, online communities um, as, you know, a valid support network and like a healthy part of your life is really nice. And the fact that the show didn't didn't try to push more. It wasn't it wasn't a show about Moriko finding a man and quitting being a nerd, Mm -hmm. which I think was a concern in the early going. Like it wasn't that at all. Um, It was the 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 online community was part was a was an integral part of how she was the recovery was her finding happiness after the soul-sucking day job yeah. um and these are these are all very good things so lest our lest our our critiques um turn turn listeners away i do want i do want to point out that it does a lot of really good stuff too yeah i mean definitely good show i think just like uh i think one of the most compelling parts of the series for me was when she had that nightmare about her like corporate yeah. life and and just the mm-hmm. way the series begins with her leaving and you don't know whether she quit or whether she was fired or what what the circumstances were and it kept feeding you little hints and then that never went anywhere i really would have liked to get more into like moriko's past and then i guess that would have eventually led to how she could have resolved her issue uh there's just like a lot of mystery about how she ended up a neat and they i thought it was pretty clear that she quit yeah i mean you definitely get the feeling she she quit quit. 
and they they talk a bit about she gets like, home with flowers. Yeah. Which feels like a parting gift, not a get out of here thing. Definitely. And then she and then she talks about how she's an elite neat because she chose this life for herself. Yeah. Um, but still, like, so we, I think, we, we know yeah. that her, her, like, work lifestyle was, like, basically killing her. Uh, but I don't know. That, like, raises more concerns regarding the future. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wish, I wish they'd taken more time with that and maybe kind of gotten into the specifics or, like, how she could possibly turn it around. Uh, something like that. Basically yeah, what I said it's, before. It's very much a show that's more focused on the emotional journey than the practical aspects of said journey. So yeah, I can see how that could how that could bug you. Yeah. Did um did either of you watch the OVA? Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, it was pretty cute. Yeah, I, I, I was interested to hear your thoughts because I know what I was able to glean off Twitter, uh some people were, were disappointed because they, they really enjoyed sort of the, the sweet, um, sort of G rated element of the series and then were a little disappointed with the the direction the OVA took, I guess. I was uh ready to be really upset because Koiwai was like the bad guy in that one and then i guess his plan was to get moriko to wear a bikini and i don't know if it was for his own satisfaction or for sakurai's benefit or for both or something uh but then sakurai ended up putting it on instead i kind of felt like that landed probably as well as it could have uh no i don't know i i think i watched the ova in kind of a kind of a sleepy haze so it's not i don't remember it all that well um there were some good mmo jokes and i giggled at those and that's the extent of my (laughs) of my uh memory of the of the mmo junkie ova so i do remember the bikini thing being kind of eye roll worthy but uh, yeah i thought they i thought they resolved it fairly well because mariko didn't have to wear it and sakurai sakurai took that blow for her and i thought that was kind of cute yeah i i tensed up twice first when they showed it i'm like oh she has to wear that but then she just went no i'll just wear this like practical armor instead and then it came back up and i tensed back up again but then sakurai kind of took the bullet and i thought that was kind of a kind of clever way to resolve it actually nice uh so i know i said we were going in reverse alphabetical order but i do want to do i, I want to save the two shows that we all three watched for last so sure. d do you want to talk about code realize for a minute a good show that came right the fuck out of nowhere code realize was nice uh it was uh, as i as i continue to describe it the unicorn um it was a good otome visual novel adaptation um that did some really nice uh it had good boys and the main character had an actual arc where she like developed agency and grew as a person and came to accept herself and the fact that she was allowed to like have happiness and it was it was nice i have some quibbles about the ending but overall um i enjoyed it a lot what about you yeah it was the ending was very who cares feelings but like to me that's not too out of line with what the show as a whole was which was always kind of silly and ridiculous um but yeah i I like i liked the show i thought they were all good kids i liked that uh, because you know a lot of times with um these sort of self-insert fantasies that are intended for a straight female audience um you tend to see other women get demonized a lot so i was really pleased to see this show there aren't a lot of like other women in it but they are you know positively portrayed and as well-rounded as their time their screen time allows which was kind of a pleasant surprise and they're leading and they're leading all the good guy organizations yeah which is cool i mean like like victoria did still do like a vampire genocide but well i mean She's still the Queen of England, so... Yeah, so, yeah, but, um, like, 
but like that was a that was a nice turn um, that I didn't expect. I did find um, and as it turns out, you can buy the the visual novel in English. It's on the Vita, so you know if you're one of the two people who has that. Yeah, I was excited to play the game, and then I was like, never mind. I don't not excited enough to buy a Vita just right. for one game. Never so. mind. There's no PC port. Oh, yeah. Which, um, which is no a shame. my. <laughs> My my quibbles about the ending weren't so much that it got ridiculous because it was code realized. I mean, there were gears sticking out of buildings for no damn reason. I was mm-hmm. not expecting it to be a show that wasn't ridiculous. Um, no, I just I felt like they set Cardia up to be um, more to act to exercise more active agency going mm-hmm. uh, as the story progressed. And I felt like she again, I think that she still had a, a pretty good emotional arc, but right. um, I wanted her to have more of an active role in the finale. Um, she in is terms a of, like, little getting, bit MacGuffin-y at that last In terms of there. like, she's mcguffin and she kind of like, she doesn't really get a chance to save anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, she stands up for herself, which is very good. And she mm-hmm. tries to save somebody, but it doesn't work out. Um, and I, and so it ends up, I felt like, I felt like up to that point, the series had done a really good job of balancing the sense of like, it's okay to, re- to, it's okay to like having a community is important and having people who support you and who can, who can look after you is important, but like was balancing that really well with Cardia also being able to kind of look after herself and help other people. Um, and I felt like it didn't hit those notes as well in the finale. It kind of fell back on, um, the, I love you and I'll protect you trope of a lot of romance series um which again i think part of it was just the series had set me up to expect a lot more from it at that point so i was mm-hmm. a little disappointed because i didn't get it right um, but no no i um i i think that's fair because like a lot of um you know a lot of the series is lupin and um and cardia telling each other like like protecting each other in demonstrable ways and then in the finale they exchange that uh, that sentiment, but it's kind of lip service at that point because Lupin's the one who does all of the actual heroics as far as doing stuff, which is kind of disappointing after everything leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that having been said, it was a really cute, nice series. I expected nothing from it, and I got a really I got a really fun experience. I looked forward to every episode. So I would still tell other people that, especially if you if you enjoy kind of ridiculous uh, shoujo fantasies with good main characters and, and good boys, um, mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have a good time with Code Realize. I'd say it's like even though the ending is not what the potential of the series offered, it's still like a mostly emotionally satisfying ending. You know, it, the the ending was nice. I awed. And of course, yeah. I have a heart of stone, um, but but it's, it's still... I have a squishy heart, and I definitely <laughs> odd. Like it's it's if you are looking for an otome st- like genre show, this is probably one of the best ones you're going to find. Even if it's you know if even if it has some stumbles at the end, is what I where I would land on that, I guess, because I also yeah. expected absolutely nothing from it. Yeah, it was a very it was a very pleasant surprise. So yeah, um, I liked it. it was yeah. Fun. I, I might. Part of me still thinks, wonders if I should be side eye at the fact that um, that the only brown skinned character is the chaotic neutral asshole. But like, I can't even get too mad at it. <laughs> Nemo was fun. Yeah, Nemo was fun, and and then they show up. They show up to like crash his blimp, and he's like, "My best friend's here," and they're like, "Oh, that was not what we expected." I, I would like twelve episodes us. of their friendship <laughs> road trip, please. <laughs> That would be fun. I would watch that show. <laughs> okay, um, Ancient Magus Bride? Sure. Yeah. Okay, you two are both big fans of the manga, so go for it. 
don't know. I kind of feel like I'm pretty curious about what you thought because during our last uh, cast, we were talking about a kind of the future uh, where uh, you had a lot of problems with how they set up um, Chise and Elias, and um, I think I talked a little bit about future scenes where Chise got time away from Elias to kind of mm-hmm. uh, interact with other characters and think about the the relationship dynamic, which uh, some of those scenes have played out now. So I was wondering yeah. if that changed your opinion at all of the series. Um, yeah, I can I can go first. I I will mm-hmm. be I, I will do my podcast job as the little rain cloud on shows that people like. All right. Um, no, okay, but I rained on MMO Junkie and Code Realize, which I liked. So, so well, that's the thing is, is I You're do like company. Vegas Bride. Um, it, I think it, it is to me, as um, MMO Junkie is to you, is in that like I can see why people love this show so much. Um, you know, all these characters are really good and well written. Uh, there is some absolutely beautiful animation and visual design. Uh, we don't get fantasies like this too often, especially shoujo ones, especially with leads as well written as Chisei. Oh, oh yeah, right, right. I always forget because because it's in a magazine that's shonen. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. why it's technically a shonen. Yeah. yeah, right. But but with young female leads like this yep. who are mm-hmm. um, not sexualized like like Chisei. Um but at the same time, something about it keeps holding me back a little bit. Um, I think this series to me suffers from oh my goddess syndrome, as I like to call it, which is um, basically. The mangaka started off with a premise, uh, realized after a few volumes that what th- that they actually wanted to do. Some where it, the mangaka took a little while to figure out what they actually wanted to do with the premise, um, and so the early stuff is kind of rough, and then the set um, the stuff afterwards doesn't so much resolve the early stuff as it goes off in a different direction, a much better direction, but you're still left with this early kind of lumpy stuff um, because like once. Once Ruth is introduced and the series starts being um, heavily about family dynamics and that kind of thing and um, gives Chisei some time alone to kind of get some context on what her life is becoming, I think it does marketably improved. And I really enjoyed those episodes a lot. Um, the thing, um, And, you know, that moment um, where she was hanging out with Angelica was the first time that she say um, and she has kind of a panic attack was the first time that she read as kind of relatable to me as a depressed anxious person with abandonment issues I I feel like those those that early first six episodes or so the first like two volumes of the manga I think they are a I don't think I think Yamazaki had an idea and wasn't sure what she wanted to do with it yet because she say like, catatonia is a thing that happens to people, but Chisei's catatonia doesn't sync up with the way she displays trauma later, and it's very narratively convenient that she just kind of goes with the flow and is super passive, and the earliest flashes of her backstory are very anime in a way that feels not like it's less revealing than the stuff once she opens up later, so much as it's just, you didn't know how to write this yet, okay, okay. Um, and then later she gets a much... Yamazaki clearly has a much better grasp on what she needs to do with that character and a much um, and how to flesh it out in a nuanced way. And um, also, those early episodes really lean strong on, oh, could they be a couple? Maybe, maybe. And like putting it in the mouths, not just of people who don't understand their relationship, but of like the queen of the fairies who is everybody is in awe of and knows things. And then they veer sharply away from that, which I'm in favor of, but it just... 
feels like this disjunction of here is the early awkward episodes of this show and here is where the show really starts to find its voice and become I, something why I understand why people are so passionate about it. Um, it's not to say that there is nothing at all good in those early episodes. I don't think that's fair. Um, but I think that if people were uncomfortable, as I was with um, Elias and Chise's relationship, um, and the heavy romance on uh, a heavy emphasis on like the romance and the bride element, um, you could honestly skip to episode seven. I think it is that Ruth is introduced and like do okay. Um, and you would probably enjoy the series much more. And I still think that OVA is gorgeous. But I, I'm still I'm still not sure whether I'll continue watching the series once next once it's uh, carryover and next season starts, depending like it is it is something I'm enjoying, but also the first thing I'd drop if my watch list were to get hectic next season. Um, and th- like the last thing is something that is not the series' fault at all. Um, but it makes me super uncomfortable that the few brushes I've had with the fandom at large are super into Elias and Chise as a romantic couple, which skews me out a lot. Like, I know the series has tried to put a lot of emphasis on Elias is also a child. There's a lot of things he doesn't know. But at the same time, he has this this power dynamic over their relationship. And also, she is a child herself in a very different sort of way, not in a metaphorical kind of way. And I just can't with that. I really love the family relationship stuff between them. And I hope the series sticks with that. I will say the anime leans heavily into the, the ship. Uh, yeah, I, it I, makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, the manga does not. I, I like just I, I've, I've looked back at some of the manga. I think that was um, maybe something Wit decided uh, yeah. to focus on or maybe emphasize a bit more. Uh I, it was like a creative decision, I think. Yeah. Well, I did check the um because I have the I, I have the first couple volumes of the manga for reference. Um, the the Titania scene is pretty much beat for beat. Oh, the children the thing. That's a weird scene. I like. I don't know if. I mean, you can't help how it comes out, no matter what. But I I I remember reading it at the time and thinking that they were being messed with. Um, but maybe that was just my perception. Like the fact that they the the fact that 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 she says it after Chise and Elias are gone feels very like oh they're going to end up together they just don't know it yet and then my skeleton left my body maybe I, I think I read it and I'm like what do you know you're a fae <laughs> uh-huh yeah you don't you literally don't even understand human beings uh I kind of I think I really appreciated the turn that it took where it where Chise did some spend some time away and of course I I was kind of more invested from the get-go yeah um, oh one more thing before you guys just like love on this series and yeah. it deserves to be loved on also. Naming your villain Cartophilius is fucked up. Yeah, I knew about the uh the the I guess the reference or the the lore that's being kind of summoned up there. Yeah, it's um well the series gets a lot of due praise for like doing a lot of research into um pagan lore and fey stuff um but naming your villain after you know after the Wandering Jew, a very anti-Semitic uh, story used prominently by the Nazis, but still anti-Semitic all the way back to its original usage in the Bible. I don't think it's anti-Semitic in the Bible specifically. The story is that there were two people who were crucified with Jesus. One of them asked for forgiveness. One of them was like, 
One of them taunted Jesus. Oh no! Oh no! No, he wasn't the guy on the cross. Sorry. No, he was. The, he was the guy um, who was heckling he, at the crucifixion and was. He like, heckled him. Yeah. yeah, and was like sentenced to walk the earth forever. And like it's it's the anti-Semitism as far as my reading goes is that like it's because he's he's not the wandering some asshole. He's like emblematic of the Jewish people being cast out of of eternity because of their sin of implicitly being responsible for the death of Jesus. And that's how it's been used to justify the persecution of the Jewish people for like a long ass time. Yeah. So like, I, I genuinely think Yamazaki did not, you know, uh, didn't mean anything by it. But I think when you said a story in a, like in such a prominently Western setting and do so have clearly done so much research into Western lore it's cool in this instance to say, yo, that's fucked up. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's fair. I don't actually know enough about the, I don't know enough about that lore. I don't know if, I don't know if it was initially um, just part of the story because I mean, in, in the Bible, basically everyone is Jewish. So mm -hmm. one of the Jewish people taunting Jesus to me doesn't strike me as like inherently anti-Semitic right off the bat. I can absolutely see how it could end up becoming a story that gets used in that, in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will, I mean, I will trust your research on that. I don't know enough about it to know how much Yamazaki necessarily would have known or not have known and how that would play into it. Um, yeah, it's not a good idea. He's an interesting character for what it's worth. They, 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 they've started developing him in the later volumes and he's, he's, he's very interesting. And I think they're going to play him uh, sympathetically in the long, in the long game, but mm. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Which um, I'm kind of thankful for. Cause I, I did not like that character's inclusion in the manga at all in the beginning because I just sort of felt like it was mostly about Shisei's development and then they threw in this random villain uh, which the story didn't need um, but it looks like Yamazaki has some interesting plans for Cardophilius too and Shisei's connection with the character I definitely see, yeah, it could be more sympathetic based on like some of the more recent events like in the last volume but yeah, definitely, I, I, I sort of flagged that as possible problematic, I think, when I first saw it, uh, but I, I kind of, I like, I don't have any sort of perspective where I could really make that call, so I think I kind of just shelved it when I arrived to it and, and kept reading. Yeah, it, it is one of those things where, like, my, my, the amount of reading I've done is still not, like, I still, I am still a Gentile who was raised Catholic, so the research I've done is still not as knowledgeable as an actual Jewish viewer might know. Yeah, I can say I've uh, spoke to, I, this is going to sound really bad, but I spoke to two Jewish friends of mine about Cardophilius' introduction, and both of them, I mean, like, that just because this is their feeling, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but both of them actually thought it was kind of interesting including that character into the story more than offensive. They, they, that does, that's not to say that they're, like, some sort of final arbitration on whether or not it's good or bad but i'm sure it is on like as it was written in it was on the level of um the fucking crosses in evangelion it's just that yeah because we yeah, have well, yeah, because because the jewish people were have you know are way more persecuted than the christians is historically i feel like that deserves more care before you casually throw that kind of stuff in it's definitely hairy i think we can all agree it's super hairy yeah and and now that was a mistake yeah, but but they're like I, I've also uh, you know by by the other turn it is kind of neat to see the amount of careful care uh, done with the like pagan and ritual stuff that the series includes like to an impressive degree. It is not necessarily a show that I will be continuing with. I, it doesn't quite click with the OVA is the only bit that's really clicked with me uh, and really like 
really uh, got in my heart. But I can see why why people are big fans of it, like getting into that second half of the series. You might be more Natsumi's Book of Friends inclined. Uh, you would think that, but I watched one episode that apparently wasn't even the saddest one and burst into tears. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Aww. I mean, you cry every episode of Natsumi's Book of Friends. That's the point. I'm not sure my heart can take Natsumi's Book of Friends is the thing. It's that's a, also fair. It is an emotional show. Some of the episodes are just cute and nice, but yeah, uh, it's good. But uh, I'm not sure if there's much more to say about Ancient Omega Sprite. I think, for like, I feel like in the last cast, I... I really talked about. I mean, unless do you have something you want to go off on about something you particularly enjoy about the series? Um, uh, I was kind of more interested in how Rai's uh, opinion might have transformed, if at all. Yeah, I'm actually a few episodes behind on the anime because I had to binge Girls Last Tour and I was trying to catch up on some other stuff before the end of the year. And since I already know how the manga goes, I don't have to worry about spoilers. Yeah, it's, so... it's, it's about halfway through volume four, um, the making of Jisei's wand. Okay, well, it's been a while since I read, so um, I'm just going to duck out of that part of the conversation entirely, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I still very much enjoy it. Uh, I I really like Chisei as a character. Um, I recognize some of its faults, especially with some of the, the new content. Um, I personally still recommend it. Um, yeah. It, it is definitely, I think it is also, it kind of reminds me of Fushigi Yugi in that um, it has a lot of lofty goals thematically yeah. which means that when it hits um it's a really special show and when it fails it fails big yeah. and also like people's emotional reactions um may cause them to resonate really strongly with the positive or the negative and color you know that's a good and, and like, yeah mm-hmm. it's very raw yeah yeah so it's i i can see people both loving and hating it basically yeah I think it's. I, I think to me, one of the reasons I've um, I've kind of been drawn to it is, um, it, to me, it's a series that kind of wants it, it. I don't think it paints the things that are uncomfortable in it as not being uncomfortable. I think it knows those things are uncomfortable and it is dealing with them in a in a in a way that suggests that the audience is supposed to be a little off balance, um, which I think ties into the whole. Uh, concept of the Fae also being this, uh, f- and magic kind of being this force that um, you're always a little uneasy around and is always kind of kind of dangerous and you're uncertain about it. Um, so, I think I think the fact that it like has some has those troubling elements doesn't bother me because I find it very interesting how it's handling them. I don't know. I should have yeah. just talked. Yeah. No. It, <laughs> no. No. I think it's. I think it's. I think it is an, an interesting and thoughtful show. I ju- I, um, I I just think by the same token, if you're like if you're affected by those things, it's it's playing with uncomfortably. I understand why it's not something you want to engage with and may not like. Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. Mm-hmm. But but I, I like I said, I also I can also very much see why this is a special series to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, I really love them rocks. Oh my God, Land of the Lustrous is my baby. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember where we left off last time. We can just cover the the entirety of the series. This is a season retrospective. Not everybody listens to the mid-seasons. So. Yeah. I'm actually really sad. I just got volume four, and volume four does not catch up uh, to the anime now. So No, now, it does not. Yeah. No. Now I have to wait for the next volume to come out to probably get some new content, uh, mm-hmm. which I am sad about. But uh, Me too. 
I also read it the day it came out, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> You're not special. Yeah. That, uh, Land of the Lustrous and Happiness are two manga where I it arrives in the mail, and then I immediately read it in, like, 15 minutes, and then I just have to accept the fact that I have to wait, like, another 100 days for the next volume to come out. That's my that's my yeah. relationship with those two works. The pain is real. Yeah. The pain is real. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like waiting 300 years for a job to do and a purpose, right? Oh, my baby. Foes <laughs> is, like, it's been a long time since I enjoyed a protagonist as much as Foes. Because you know how it is with anime. Usually the protagonist is just the, the best most one to character. get you to the more interesting side characters. Yeah. Yeah. But I love Foes. I love them. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the flashback where you see young Foes pre-300 years of uh, ennui <laughs> was pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, this it's an excellent, um, the, the finale is really something uh, as far as being a, it's not a sati- it's not necessarily a satisfying anime. Like I would be really mad if we didn't get a second season. I am prepared to evangelize this series until we get a second season. Um, but at the at least same we have manga, yeah. at least yeah. we'll, at least we know there's more. Yeah, but le- like at the same time, e- looking at this as if it were all there is, um, it does tell a nice contained story that mirrors itself at either end about. Um, Cinnabar and Fos's relationship, which is nice. It leaves all these other major questions unanswered, but it does at least tell. It's kind of like Princess Principle, like it resolves one emotional arc while leaving these giant fucking plot holes. Yeah, I, the uh, difference is we have no idea if we're going to get more Princess Principle, and we do at least true. know there's lustrous manga. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, um, uh, and there's definitely like a very devoted fan base, so I think that speaks well to its chances, at least in Japan. Uh, the series was critically acclaimed, uh, if for nothing else, the the awesome direction by Studio Orange. Uh, like God, it, it's it, really gorgeous. It, it created some waves, uh, especially among like CG fans. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure. I think it just won first prize uh, in CG worlds. Like um, they have a like this award thing. So uh, Land of Lustrous won, I think, best like technical. CG production, as it should. Yeah, yeah it's excellent. There, there are points where it, it reached this stage of, oh, I always wondered what it would be like to have a Team Ico anime, and now we know. Uh, I uh, I don't want to start drawing parallels there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they both hurt me. Yeah, yeah. In my heart place. Oh, for sure. It's really good. I actually like I, I threw through some of my like stuff, seeing art books and fan art, and just like accidental exposure. I know that things get pretty wild in the near future, and some of the stuff I'm actually genuinely worried about might drive me away from it, just because it, I I don't know, there's like a certain level of intensity where I almost like sort of become afraid of continuing to read, Um, but I've just had such an overwhelmingly positive experience uh, of like every aspect of the work so far that I find it hard to feel reticent about continuing even with reservations, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's I've been calling Ichikawa a horror writer recently, and I stand by that. Like, she is very stressful to read sometimes yeah. um, in, in a way that I find very well technically crafted um, and excellent, but stressful. And uh, it's obvious some crazy shit's about to happen just based on the where the story hangs with the conclusion. And they managed to sneak in Romy Park there at the end. I was wondering when it was going to happen. Was that Obsidian? Uh, no, uh, she played... Uh, Paparaccia. Is that how you say it? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Paparaccia or whatever. Yeah, the body, the body horror character, or I should. Uh, what, what's that called? The fear of 
mini tiny uh, holes. T- t- Trino tryptophobia. Tryptophobia. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, R- Rutiel's sad date friend. <laughs> oh yeah, the the tragic. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered. I always, all the fan art always had those two together, and now I know why. My heart. Yep. The tragic. This, this is a series that I um have more feelings than critical faculties about. Not because there's not a lot of like good critical discourse you can have on the the technical and like narrative merits of the show, but just because yeah. I have a lot of feelings about my rock children. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I uh, talked about this the first time around but it, this is something like i i just keep getting amazed by the the smaller and smaller ways that ichikawa keeps introducing this sort of she's kind of like peeling away all the layers of humanity to try to reach the core of like this onion of sadness uh that's why you're crying i guess because you, you find like because she's just that was really good she's, sorry well done. She's, yeah. she's kind of just getting rid of all the things that could that like we identify as things that make us human, I guess. Uh, like gets rid of gender, gets rid of any. I mean, they re- they don't even reproduce; they produce. Uh, so there's no sexual drive. Uh, they can't physically touch each other. Uh, they can't cry. Uh, and you can still get this really strong feeling, uh, like you know what they're feeling. Um, but all the ways in which they could normally express those feelings, hell, they don't even have words for a lot of the things they're feeling. They're like literally, Dia is feeling this nameless sorrow, and they have no idea what it's called. Uh, they have no name for it. They ask Fo to, foes to come up with a name for what they're experiencing. So it's it's really like it's it's very ambitious. I think just trying to, and I don't know where. Ichikawa is really going to end or if she has an ending in mind for like uh, like maybe if I just keep doing this I'll eventually hit the end point what makes a human human because they there's just in all the ways that we're familiar with seeing emotion and seeing it expressed and kind of uh interacting with people in emotional ways like reaching out to somebody else touching somebody else being concerned for somebody else uh, like sexually desiring somebody else, a lot of that is just unavailable to these characters. But they're so empathetic, uh, and they're and still they obviously do care human. about one another. Yes, absolutely, and they feel like this strong sense of uh, community and wanting to be useful and and helpful to others, despite not having uh, like any of these normal like uh, evolutionary features that would drive someone to like have this sort of communal or or like tribal like you know all our all our like evolutionary psychology explanations for why humans are are altruistic none of that exists but they're absolutely believable in these motivations i i do hope that the um the manga avoids going in the direction of you know particularly the lack of of gender makes them lesser because i feel like it's been very good at avoiding that at not making that a component of what makes them less than you know human which is part of the story but i don't i don't in fact i feel like uh it almost feels like she's setting up for the lunarians to be like the most pitiful of all of them uh like driven by these base human urges that i think are supposed to be like kind of the soul of humanity at least that's been my perception so far i feel like both the sea people and the uh the lustrous kind of don't have the a lot of the baggage that humans do, like their greed, uh, which is like the defining feature of the Lunarians. So I, I don't, I, I, at least I haven't gotten any inklings of that. Although if you've seen anything like that, I'm curious. 
I, I, I haven't. Uh, I've had people yell at me on Twitter. I'm very, very tired. <laughs> I'm very, very tired about people being stupid about this show, Peter. Yeah, uh, understandable. But, Especially, uh, yeah, very recently. The, the, the content itself, though, um, I'm always... I'm always on guard about that kind of thing, but the um, Ichikawa has given me no reason to like strongly suspect that it's going to go in a gross direction. Yeah, and I think all the available evidence indicates that she's being very thoughtful. Uh, like, uh, I mean, based on your own research with the, you talked to the translators at Kodansha who said that uh, she had very specific ways that they, in regards to language usage uh, for mm-hmm. the lustrous, yeah. correct? So I, I feel like she's being very thoughtful about this. This feels to me like a kind of, uh, I, I've mentioned like some similarities between her short story works, uh, at least visually, uh, and, mm-hmm. and Land of Lustrous. I feel like this has kind of been something that has been coalescing uh, for a while for her and is, so it's probably something she's very invested in. Yeah, a lot of her, her short form work seems to deal with, you know, also body horror, but, you know, like autonomy and sense of self and those kind of issues. Yeah. And dependence on others. So she, I, 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 I am very interested in her work in the future. Same. It's been a remarkably positive experience. I'm, I'm blown away by this person that I just discovered six months ago, basically. Right. Um, Dee, did you have anything <laughs> yeah. you wanted to talk about? Any opinions, Dee? No, that was, a, that was a good conversation, and I enjoyed <laughs> listening to it. It's it's hard for me to talk about Lustrous because I feel like a lot of... I feel like right now we have a lot of buildup, but we haven't reached the point where we kind of turn that corner into where the buildup is going. So right. I can see a lot of pieces, but they haven't come together to form a puzzle yet. Yeah. So it's kind of hard for me to talk about it since I don't 100% know where it's going with all of its ideas. Um, But the characters are very, as you guys have talked about, um, very sympathetic. They're, they're, they're people, they're people, they're rocks. They're people you can root for. (laughs) Um, And the pieces are definitely there. You know, some of the ideas you were talking about in terms of like agency and purpose and uh, change and both good and bad change. And there's these really interesting Buddhist undertones that I hope, uh, aren't aren't just window dressing and kind of kind of get explored more within the the story proper, mm-hmm. um, but it's I, I'm kind of waiting for more story before I can like really dig into what I think the series is doing. But I'm very interested in whatever it is that it's doing. I I will say um, I think a lot of people fret about the fact that you know Sensei is this masculine coded uh, individual like lording all over all these feminine coded individuals and. I just, I just need to take them gently by the shoulders and tell them that the entire point of the series is about seeding doubt in this patriarchal, no-question-asking power structure, and it's going to be okay, children. Yeah, that, that was my reaction to concerns regarding grooming. It, 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 like, literally the last plot segment that we got was, uh, is this person who has basically taught us everything about the world actually trustworthy? That, that's the current plot right now. And it feels like we're in front of, like, this huge precipice in regards to where the story will go next like some bottom's going yeah. to drop out soon and that yeah, is currently the focus way. so more rocks please yep. more rock manga soon <laughs> give me Kodansha. those pretty gems <laughs> hey buy the manga from Kodansha so they can keep printing the manga so I can buy it and have rocks and translate Let's the just... short story collections as well please I would I would happily read more Ichikawa mm-hmm. um Let's just, you know what? Let's just rename the website uh, 
Lustrous or watch yeah. Land of the Lustrous. We'll just, uh, I think I have control over that. I'll just, I'll just nip over and take care of that in a minute. Amelia won't mind. The I'm Lustrous sure fan blog with feminism. Church of the Lustrous, yep. uh, where we spread the good word. The rocks are good, actually. Hey, yeah. on the plus side, Patreon donations would be tax deductible. So. Oh, nice. Damn. Good, good, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, we've gone a little long. Thanks for sticking with us. And thank you, uh, as always, for joining us on the Anime Feminist Podcast. If you like what you heard... Why not go and visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash animefeminist. It's how we pay the bills and how we pay our contributors and editors and keep the site running. Even a dollar a month really helps and makes a difference. Uh, You can read more articles from us at www.animefeminist.com. You can find us on Facebook at Anime Femme. You can find us on Twitter at Anime Feminist. You can find more episodes of Chatty AF on SoundCloud. And until next time, thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, I guess we're done. Yep. See you later, Annie fam. <laughs> da 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 da, da. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to press stop. All right. <laughs> <laughs>